thank you for taking an interest in my blog. I hope you're using it as an opportunity to get outside, perhaps listen while you're walking and get some of that great fresh air that I talked about in my last one. Today I'm talking about loud and proud and giving flexible workers a voice right in the heart of Westminster. I'm just super proud that I represent NHS's largest group of flexible workers by leading NHS professionals. But one of my key jobs is to turn that pride into concrete action that then benefits our members and our client trusts. One of the best ways that I can do this is to speak up for both groups at national level. I had exactly that opportunity just last week at the Health and Social Care Select Committee. It was held in Westminster. The committee is holding an inquiry into workforce recruitment, training and retention across the health and social care sector. And as we know, this is under intense pressure right now. And the committee's remit is to now pinpoint those issues and present potential solutions. Many, including the committee chair, the former health secretary, Jeremy Hunt, argue the NHS needs a long-term workforce plan. I fully support this and I believe that flexible working should form a major part of it. I could talk all day about why, but the fact that more than three quarters of all nursing and doctor vacancies are currently being met by flexible workers has a lot to do with that. Another reason is that the increasing number of healthcare professionals are choosing flexible working as a complete career, not just as a top up to their substantive posts. Some 60,000 of our 180,000 bank members fit into this category. They just work flexibly for us across the service. And I expect that number to continue to grow as it has been over the last couple of years. The pandemic has meant that many people have been re-evaluating their priorities in life and seeking a healthy work-life balance. Even without the pandemic, people have complex lives with competing demands and they need flexibility. As I told the committee, one of our bank nurses recently described herself to me as flexi-retired, an arrangement that allowed her to pick up her grandchildren from school, but also continue caring on her local ward at the hospital. This is just one example amongst many. Flexibility is a win for the person because they have more control, a win for their employer and their patients because they're more engaged. And as we know, engaged staff are healthier, safer and more productive. Everyone benefits. Like I said, I could probably talk all day on this subject, but part of my job is to convince influential figures of these arguments. So we see appropriate change at a national level. At the end of the committee session, I was super pleased to hear Jeremy Hunt say that he felt flexible workers needs to be seen as the solution and not the problem. Given Mr Hunt's senior political profile, this is hugely encouraging and I sincerely hope that we see that this view carries all the way through the committee's final report and I'll be watching to see what comes out when it's finally produced. Okay, so what's the problem here? What's the big pain point when it comes to temporary or locum staff? Which Jeremy Hunt's comment alluded to. His reference to the problem hinges on the popular perception that flexible staff cost more compared to a substantive workforce. In fact, his opening question to me tackled this issue head on. Why is it, he said, with the service NHS professionals offers, why are we still spending £6 billion on locum and agency staff? My concern around this perception is that flexible workers are all lumped into this one category, expensive, 
or quote unquote bad local agency. As I explained in my answer, the reality is more complex. Not all agencies or flexible workers cost the same. For example, first you have bank staff, such as those that we provide through the NHS Professionals Bank or a trust in-house bank. And that population make up nearly four billion of that six billion pounds quoted by Jeremy Hunt. These are the gold standard for flexible healthcare workers. They come with NHS assured training and compliance. And very often they're already known to the local staff, sometimes the patients, which helps with continuity of care. Crucially, they can actually be more cost effective. For example, a standard band five nurse on a bank will actually cost less than a substantive nurse. However, when the bank can't meet its staffing needs, many trusts will resort to alternative agencies. These make up the other two billion or so of the annual six billion spend. There are two kinds. There are agencies that work on framework and they're approved and they're the most cost effective and they're often the first choice. And there's off framework agencies that are often used as a last resort when other options have failed. Whilst it's true they're more expensive, they sometimes come with added services such as taxi collection, drop-off, enhanced training, which can be helpful in our hour of need and in very specific circumstances. These options represent a blend of support and frankly, when you face sudden shift gaps and the urgent need to safeguard your patients and your staff, you just have all the help you can get. Unfortunately, this situation is becoming more common due to the severe workforce pressures across the health and social care sector. But why safety should always come before cost? We still need a really strong decision-making system in place to make the model sustainable. This involves maximising the spend on bank and framework agencies and minimising that off-framework spend. As I told Jeremy Hunt, many trusts use an effective cascade system to do this incredibly well. So substantive staff will fill the roster first, then they'll go to the bank, then to the framework agency. And finally, as a very last resort, they might have to use an off-framework agency. Even if an off-framework agency worker has booked into a shift, trusts can work to bump those out if an on-framework agency worker becomes available or a bank member or somebody in the substantive rota would like to fill that shift. The issue here though is that not all trusts have this cascade system in place. All they do and it's manual and it's clunky. However, as I said to the committee, I don't believe the answer is to ban off framework agencies altogether because the issue is bigger than them. I think it's more about two things. Growing a bigger and stronger bank based on flexible workforce, providing them with a quality training and development resources so that they aren't sidelined in that respect. It's also about supporting the framework agencies whose margins are often very, very slim and encourage more agencies to join the framework so that there's more transparency of costs. In my view, this is the best answer we have to the thorny issue of agency costs right now. Screen in, don't screen out. Another route through the current pressures is about innovating recruitment. The traditional recruitment model used routinely across the NHS involves screening out the majority of candidates shortlisted for a post. Out of five shortlisted, one gets a job, four are rejected, and that's usually it. We say farewell to those unlucky four, often permanently. But what if we reframed this approach so that we moved more proactively to consider how we could screen in those four people so that we keep them on board? There may be other opportunities available immediately or in the new future that they can do 
and do well with a little bit of extra training or support. Everyone comes with their own unique CV, their own personal set of skills, experiences and talents, many of which are transferable. We need to focus more on the transferable part and reinforce this with investment in top-up training. This is a more positive recruitment model that's based around nurturing people into the NHS. In this way, we can build back the NHS better with more talent and grow the capacity we need to deliver the integrated care model in the years to come. We've already seen an example of this in action during the pandemic. The initial COVID-19 emergency forced a change in the normal NHS recruitment mindset. It became more about screening in rather than out. We saw thousands of extra people come on board at short notice from all backgrounds, driven by their own desire to help the NHS in its hour of need. But it was also driven by the NHS itself, becoming more inclusive because we had to. We nicknamed this group of people the NHS Curious, and we're working on ways to continue feeding them into employment and development opportunities, even after the emergency is passed. It's about building a nurturing recruitment relationship over time, one that's less transactional, more personal, so that step by step, we're re-energising and growing back the health and social care workforce across the country. So my final word, the full recording of the committee hearing is available. You can click the link on this post. It's a two hour watch, but it's well worth a look and a listen because you will hear powerful evidence from a range of speakers, including some working on the clinical front line. You'll hear about the problems for sure, but also the passion everybody has for the NHS and our shared desire to make it stronger. On behalf of NHS professionals and all of our members and client trusts, I hope that passion is reflected in the Select Committee's report and we'll wait for its recommendations with great interest. I hope you've managed to have a nice walk and thank you for listening.